Well, welcome everyone to another Tree Church Bible study. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 7 of Hebrews. And it is a little bit confusing, but it's one of those that you, as you start to unpack it, you start to understand the power behind it. So I'm excited for you to join us. And today it's going to be a great one. Are you looking to take the next step in your faith journey? Baptism is coming up. We still have one more orientation class that you can take to learn more about baptism and what it looks like at the tree. The class is November 27th at 11 a.m. So make sure you register on the Tree Church app. Well, welcome back to the Bible study. Today I am joined by my wife, Mary. Hi there. And by Stacy Crawford. Hey, everyone. I hope you both are doing well. Yes. And uh, so I want to do an opening statement just about today's Bible study is I'm warning everybody that I'm going to talk a lot. And it's not because I'm trying to dominate. Uh, I find this chapter is a little bit confusing because there's a lot of imagery. Uh, there's even some discussion debate. So uh, there will be stretches where I'm just going to be explaining it in the Bible study. It's a little bit different than how we normally do it, but we're still going to engage in conversation about it. So I just want people to know uh, it's not me uh, just trying to dominate the conversation. But I do want to begin, as we always do, with a, a few get-to-know-you questions. And so I'll start with you, Stacy. Mm -hmm. What song would you sing at karaoke? I feel like I have to go with Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Okay. <laughs> Why not? You know, it just seems like a great karaoke song. It does, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not for you. It does not for me. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Mary? First of all, I wouldn't, so <laughs> that that's would my be answer. the answer <laughs> to the question. <laughs> I would just not do karaoke. But if you forced me to, we were just talking before we started this podcast that uh, you and I lip-synced to Total Eclipse of the Heart, and that would kind of be fun. you got to give context. You can't just say that. We did that out of volunteer, volunteer appreciation, yeah, right? Volunteer appreciation. Volunteer appreciation. Yeah. We ago. had to lip-sync. So, yeah, I would choose that. Yeah, I did the guy girl part, and you did the guy part, I think, right? No. <laughs> No, we sang the appropriate part, or we lip sync. Is, is it only a girl singing? I don't know, whatever it was, but no, I well, I think it was guy and girl, yeah. Okay, I think you're wrong, but that's okay. All right, <laughs> all right. Uh, for me, yeah, there's no chance in the world I'd ever do karaoke, so there's no no need to even answer that question. You know, it's weird. I I feel like you would do karaoke. No, I feel in like... our home, I would not do I it. So you of do public. it like with our kids. And yeah, stuff, like you start I would singing. do that, but not out in public. Yeah. Okay, second question. I'll start with you this time, Mary. If okay. you could hire an assistant to do one thing for your life, what would it be? Cleaning. Cleaning my house. If I just always had someone. If I could always come home to a clean home, clean Amen. bathroom, everything. Are you the same then? Well, I put laundry because it feels like it is the never-ending task. Like, yeah. just when you're like, we got all the laundry clean. Nope. No, we didn't because we're wearing clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Stacey, all I can say to that, though, is you should add a few more high schoolers to that. <laughs> She'll <laughs> get there one day. I only have Cadence one child. Does she change outfits a lot? Yes, yeah. she does. Yeah, and our then, like, Ben and I thing. work out, too. So it's like we have our workout clothes yeah. and then I know. pajamas and then the clothes you wear. So it's like it actually is more laundry than you would think three For people sure. should have. I believe it, totally. So I just made this confession to our church. I am now doing the laundry in our home. It's kind of a long story, but uh, Mary just, she made me. And, uh, no, and I had enough. Uh, yeah. But uh, you do realize, because like my kids get up, so they, whatever their PJs were, 
and then they wear their clothes that day. They play sports, so they, that's another outfit. They come home. They typically shower and put on an outfit, right. but oftentimes that's not even their PJs. Right. That's just another outfit, and then they get on PJs, so it starts that cycle right. over. Yeah, so you're right. Like, I literally would clear out their, their hampers. I mean, nothing in it, mm-hmm. and get done with the laundry, and then go in their rooms, and it's full. And I'm like, well, how is that even possible that that's the case? <laughs> no yeah. kidding. I can't imagine. How much laundry you guys do on a regular basis? Oh, I think laundry for all of us. It's just like that thing that yeah. it, it's a little bit tormenting because you're saying like it never actually ends right. because yeah. Right. yeah you're wearing clothes. Uh, for me, I, I actually this sounds odd because I don't do <laughs> very I do very little of the cleaning. Is I would still hire someone to do the cleaning in our home just to free you up because mm-hmm. I like to hang out with you. So <laughs> I feel like that would just be a, a cool thing. So yeah, I realize I just publicly admitted I don't do anything. <laughs> but, um. All right. Have you do you have you ever had a nickname and do you currently have a nickname, Stacy? So this will not come as a surprise to you. In high school, I got the name Sister Giggles. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise whatsoever. What's the sister part of it though? I don't know why they call it. Started calling me sister. Like they put sister in front of it, but they just started sister calling Giggles. me Sister Giggles. So that's so yeah. good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah oh, great. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have shared that. <laughs> Now, um, people that I'm close with will call me Stace. Um, I can't think of what they call me, but I know uh, Michael calls me something funky sometimes that has my name in it, but I can't think of, I can't think right now what it is. Michael Giacomoni? Yeah, Michael Giacomoni. So it's just funny because they all try to find variations with my name. Mm -hmm. And there's also, it has nothing to do with your name, but every single day that Stacy leaves the office, the staff says, have a good weekend. Yeah. It doesn't matter what day it is. It's funny to hear it. It's like just picked up. I even do it now. Like we'll be walking out. And you're like, good night, everyone. I'm like, have a good weekend. Yep. It's, it's funny. It, it yeah. throws me off sometimes. I'm like, wait, is it the weekend or yeah. no? <laughs> Mary, do you have a nickname? I don't really have a nickname. You I had a nickname up. growing up. Um, so my, I actually, my first name is Mary Elizabeth. My middle name is Jane. And so um, M-E-J being my initials there. My grandpa always called me Medge. And then my brothers would call me Medge. So that was kind of, and actually close friends in high school would call me that too. So, and they probably still would as, you know, we, I don't see them very often, but so that became a nickname that was just like a family type Mm -hmm. nickname. And my brothers will still call me that when we visit with them. So I'm going to Michigan for Thanksgiving we are, and somebody will probably call me Medge while we're there. But Mm -hmm. no, other than that, you and I kind of call each other babe back and forth, but that's, that's about it. Yeah, I remember recently, not recently now, uh, probably a few months ago, I, I called you by your name. I was like, Mary, and you were like, <laughs> like you looked at me, and you even said, you were like, like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, why? You are like, call me by my name. <laughs> like, it felt weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, growing up, my dad called me Bones. Um, I always thought it was because I was skinny, but uh, he later on told me he had uh, his best friend growing up, and he said I looked like exactly like him, and his name was Bones. Mm-hmm. And then um, my friends called me Johnson or Jay. Uh, I was one that always called me Jay. So uh, some reason I went by my last name that way. But yeah. All right, last one, and then we'll dive in. Is uh, what are your pet peeves? Like one or two pet peeves that you have. Mary, I'll go with you because okay. I know that you have a bunch. Oh please! <laughs> rude people. That was one of my pet peeves. <laughs> Seriously, I just when people are rude, it's just I very personal, Mary. I'm you teasing right you because <laughs> you were just teasing me. No, but rude people when people are just mean or yeah. just not kind, like they just have that personality. That is a pet peeve of mine. And then um, this one is is 
I don't know. It's when people are super smacking on food, like when they are not <laughs> chewing at all with their mouth closed or just being super loud. So not just like eating normally. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. I know that bothers some people if they can right. hear mm-hmm. another person chewing right. or crunching. That does not bother me, but it's just the like unnecessary mm-hmm. loudness. You, you do have a sensitivity to volume in general. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Like if people are loud and stuff like, because you'll do that even like with our kids, like if they're talking super loud. Yeah. So like at dinner, if they're smacking, like if they're open, like I'll see you, you're real subtle about it. Like you never embarrass anyone, but you'll be like, like, and then like if they're too loud, you're like, bring it. To <laughs> My yeah. home was so loud growing up that like that was normal. But it's like you do have a sensitivity to like, yeah, intensity and volume and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Funny. Well, this is where Mary and I are very similar because I said rude people oh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> just don't, I don't know. It just bothers me when mm-hmm. people are just so inner focused that they're not thinking about others sure. around them or you know trying to cut them off and stuff. So yeah. that's definitely a pet peeve of mine. You both are very empathetic too. Like mm-hmm. you, you sense the emotion of people in the room right. and stuff like that. Right. So yeah, people that aren't that way probably are difficult because right. they're not sensitive. Yeah, they're not seen it the same way you are, and you right. try to have grace mm-hmm. with it, but it's hard yeah. sometimes. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, my pet peeve, I, I think all the staff knows it at this point is um, I've kind of talked about it a bunch. When you, when someone has a job that they're paid to do and they act put out to do their job, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about when I said that. I'm not saying because our staff does that. I'm saying like just in general. So you go to a, a store and they're like, you know, you bring a big cart of food up there or something like at a grocery store, and they're like. Oh, I gotta check all that out, and you're like, "That's literally your right. job. You're paid to do that." Or you go right. to a restaurant, they act put out, and I'm like, "You're paid to do this." Mm-hmm. And so, like, even as I'm saying it now, I can tell, like, I, I'm starting to have my my tone where I'm annoyed. But that that's one that just sets me off. And like, when I'm not in a great mood, and that happens, I'll actually say something. I'll go like, hmm. "Am I putting you out?" I know, like, I'm that jerk. I'm the unkind person. But. All right. Well, now that we got to know each other. And what I feel like we got to know is that I'm lazy and angry, and you guys are not. <laughs> I said that. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into the Bible study today. And again, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 7, but let's just take a moment and do a little bit of review of Hebrews as a book, and then specifically the end of chapter 6. So as a book, if you could summarize what Hebrews is about, it's, it's the author is trying to explain why Jesus is greater. So there are different people he addresses. Jesus is greater than Abraham. He's better than Moses. He's better than angels. Like it's just the idea he's greater so that they can understand what relationship they are able to have with God. But not only is he greater than all the former leaders, but also his ways are greater and his ways are eternal. So oftentimes you'll see it's kind of reduced to this idea of the the supremacy of Christ and the perseverance in Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's that idea over and over. And then one of the imageries that we receive through Hebrews is that Jesus is our high priest. And I want to take a moment and explain that just because it's what today's Bible study is about. When God gave the law to the nation of Israel within the law, so the law is like 613 of his commands. He gives it to them. Within the law, there is a system that if you break the law, if you do these things, you can have forgiveness of your sins, which is just a crazy thing to think about that he says, here's what I'm commanding you to do. This is the holy sovereign God. I'm commanding you to do these things, but I'm also fully aware you're going to disobey. You're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. And so I want to give you a way to uh, be put back in right standing. Well, a big part of that was the role of the priest. Uh, So the priest came from one of the lines of Abraham, so one of the tribes of Israel. 
So Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had, some of these people had multiple kids, but I'm just naming the one. So he had Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. One of the sons was Levi. From that tribe came the priest. Mm-hmm. And I don't have time today to explain how that came about. But the, the Levites were the priests that oversaw initially the tabernacle worship, and then it became the temple worship once they built the permanent structure. And, uh, and so the priests, the big part of what they did was they helped people when they came with their sin and they would make sacrifices. They would sacrifice the animals and the different gifts that they were given. They would do it in a proper way. And through this process, there would be forgiveness of sins. Well, there was one role that one person held at, at any time, and that was the high priest. Initially, that was Moses, his brother, Aaron, was the high priest, and then all the high priests came from his line. And so initially, like I said, it was Aaron. He was the one that could have this special role that he could go into, initially the tabernacle, and again, it became the temple. He could go into the most holy place or the holy of holies mm-hmm. one day a year on the day of uh, atonement, when he would make sacrifices for the sins of the nation. He would first make sacrifices for his own sin so that he could be purified so that he could step into the presence of God and take the blood that was shed from the lamb or the, the, um, the bull, whatever sacrifice he was doing, and he could take it in there and he could sprinkle the blood, and that was his role. But it was one person, one day a year, got to experience the presence of God. That was all foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. Instead of Jesus killing an animal, Jesus laid down his life. So he was both the high priest and the sacrifice that would allow us to permanently be in a relationship with God. So that's just like the quick mm-hmm. overview of, right. of what we're talking about. So Hebrews explains Jesus is our more faithful high priest and more perfect high priest, the perfect high priest. So before we dive into a, a quick review of chapter six, let's just talk about what that means to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does knowing that within the law was also the means for forgiveness impact your understanding of God's love and grace? I'll start with you, Stacey. Yeah. um, So even as I was reading commentaries for this, uh, this line stuck out to me. It said, the law provided expert diagnosis of our sin problem, but it doesn't provide the cure. And I just think that that was so interesting to me. Um, I'm a rule follower. so Yes, Yes, you are. I am. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I like to know, like, how does God want me to live? What are your parameters? What is it that you want me to do? But I know... I, in the past, could have really been one like the, the people of Israel, where it's like, you got to follow the law, you got to mm-hmm. follow the rules, but it's exhausting. And so it's like, it's good to have both, to know like, these are God's expectations. He knows we're going to sin. He knows where we fall short, but you always need that element of grace. Yeah. And so it's just, I don't know, it's just so cool to me that that's how God operates, that he's like, it's both and. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the guidance through my laws through the book, but then just know there is grace upon grace mm-hmm. for everything. Hey, one of the things I notice about rule followers, so when we use that term, that always is such a weird term because yeah. <laughs> it implies like other people want to break rules. And no, that's not no. the case, but you you really do want defined expectations. Right. Tell me what it is. Whereas like my personality is more like just generally point me in the direction. Right. I'll figure it out. <laughs> right. But you want the, but what I've noticed with rule followers is not only are, do they want to follow rules, but are oftentimes way harder on themselves yep. when those rules are broken yeah. versus others that would be like, oh, yeah, it happens. Right. Right. Oh, and yeah. so like you do need you need the rules defined to be at peace. But when you break them, you do need grace mm-hmm. because it's so hard. And I know you're mm-hmm. a rule follower, too. The same right. Way. Right. I think it's uh, comforting in the fact knowing that um, the standards are high 
but yet there is grace extended. Yeah. So the, and the standards are high, and I know it's something, a message that's taught over and over here at the tree. The, the standards are high for our own good, right. for us to live the most fulfilled life that we can here, not mm -hmm. just for the sake of standards being standards mm -hmm. um, right. or for them to be unreachable. That's, right. that's not the context of it. It's a heart, God's heart of, I desire this for you because it's best for you, mm -hmm. yet I know you won't live them out perfectly. Right. So I have a plan in place to give you grace yeah. um, mm -hmm. through the sacrifice of Jesus. So I, it's it really is that comforting. And I think it's comparable to a parent who has rules for their kids for mm -hmm. their own good, but yet extends love and grace when there's mistakes made. And mm -hmm. it's not out of anger that there is consequences. consequences. It's out of a love mm -hmm. and protection for them. Yeah. Right. So. yeah and, and within that, so even the system that, God created, it was all foreshadowing. He knew ultimately it would be Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. it was not, that was not like, hmm, how can we make this work? Oh, this right. is cool imagery. Let's use Jesus. Yeah. That was always the plan from the beginning. So how does knowing that Jesus is the high priest and mediator, that he is the one, like his idea, he came, lived it out. He now continually wants to be that one that ushers us into the presence of God, that he is the way that we approach God. Like, how does that impact your faith in the way that you approach God. I'll start with you this time, Mary. Yeah, I think it's easy at times to think of God being disconnected from us. So just to view God as outside of ourselves, which he is, but view him as um, not really knowing us or knowing our needs and knowing us specifically because of, I in, in my own life, I think of all of his other responsibilities that right. he has to do. So knowing that Jesus is interceding for us um, I don't, it, it's this beautiful picture to me that just all works together. Mm -hmm. So I, I was, as I was preparing for this, looking at Romans 8, 34, where it says, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us. And even thinking about that can be, I think, emotional and overwhelming to think that we have a creator who so desires to know us, who so made a way for us to be in relationship mm -hmm. with us yeah. and is advocating for us mm -hmm. and cares about us. Mm -hmm. Um, it put to me it puts god it, it makes me look at god in a different perspective mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. i think i always just am so amazed when i really almost kind of have that visual of like it's so cool that man he loves us that much that he's like jesus is that for you and so mm -hmm. that when god looks at me he's not looking at me through the lens of you're guilty you're right. you're awful mm -hmm. you're terrible he's looking at me through the lens of jesus and that just I don't know. It's just absolutely incredible to me, just like Mary was saying. It's such a beautiful picture of a God who who loves us, who wants to be in relationship with us. And so he's like, I've done everything I possibly can right. to make sure that this can happen. Yeah. yeah. Scripture gives us this kind of a weird idea in that there's this idea that Satan stands before God at times, accusing us day and right. night. That's what Scripture talks about. But at the same time, you have the picture of, of Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Mm -hmm. And like this is this is not theologically sound. What I'm about to say, but I always picture like Satan throwing accusations, and like Jesus is eating chips, and he's just like, "That's <laughs> that's not true." Like I, I forgave that. You know what I mean? Like right. like there's just like no, like, stop it. Yeah, stop it. Stop it. Right. You know, like like because he just knows he's taking care of like anything that would separate us from the Father. So he's our defender. Mm -hmm. And so like every accusation just falls short yeah. because there's it's or in a more beautiful picture. As he throws accusations, Jesus just consistently says, yeah, I died for that one too. Yeah. I died for that one exactly. too. Like the punishment has been paid for that. 
And, and that's what I love is like, this is the system God has created because he mm -hmm. wants to be in relationship with us. Yeah. All right. So let's go to the end of chapter six, just for a second, just to set up because a character is introduced that we have to study today. So I'm going to pick up in verse 13. So we, we covered this in our last Bible study, but um, for review's sake. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So that, that's the imagery of the Holy of Holies, like this place of secure, we can be in the presence of God, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, and then here's the line that leads us into, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that leads us to, who? <laughs> who is this Melchizedek? Uh, so Jesus, uh, he's going to continue, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to continue uh, talking about this same theme, the supremacy of Christ, the perseverance in Christ. But there's this person introduced, Melchizedek, and he's somewhat of a mystery because he's mentioned only in passing in Genesis, and we'll look at that in a moment, once in Psalm that takes it to a completely different level. So there's like, here's this character that interacts with Abraham. He, he's known as a king. Then in Psalms, it says something about him that is like way more dramatic. And you're like, whoa, where was that pivot from? Yeah. And then in this, it's, our, it's going to start to give him more detail. And, and really, there's two views of who this person is and, and what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So when we look at this, the writer of Hebrews gives way more detail. So he's not getting that detail from a scriptural source. So the question that we often have is, is that a supernatural revelation or is he just processing it out by using reason? Hmm. Um, and so I think supernatural revelation, I mean, I think obviously the whole, whole scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but there's two, there's two major biblical theories, but there's a lot of other theories. So here are some theories just for all of those who are curious about who Melchizedek is. <laughs> some believe he's an angel and even specifically Michael the Archangel. Why that is, I don't know. But there's a, there's a whole religious belief in that. It has been in history. Uh, some believe he's a superior spiritual being, even to Jesus, which obviously is unbiblical. There, some believe he's superior to the angels, but less than the Son. Not biblical. Uh, some think he's the Holy Spirit. Some think he's Shem, the son of Noah. But for all of those, there's no real scriptural support. So there are two possible biblical options. The first is that he is a Canaanite king, king slash priest, that he's one, uh, one in the same, of Salem, which is understood to be Jerusalem, who was a worshiper of the true God. So some people think, like we're going to see in a moment, the words that describe him, just take it literal, this is who he is. Others believe he is the pre-incarnate Jesus, um, which if you've never heard that term, it just means that there were before Jesus became a person here on earth, he had moments where he revealed himself in a physical form to people in the scriptures. Um, some will call that uh, Christophany. Others will call it different phrases. But it's that Jesus is revealing himself in the Old Testament. I'll just a little spoiler alert. That's who I think Melchizedek mm -hmm. is. So uh, we're going to be there in just a second. So here's what the author is about to do. He wants to show that Melchizedek, whoever he is, that he is greater than Abraham so that he can show that Jesus, the high priest who came from the order of Melchizedek, 
is greater than the high priest that came before Abraham. And so when we look at Melchizedek, we first hear about him in Genesis. So this is the part of the Bible study where I'm going to talk a lot. Okay? <laughs> uh, we first hear about him in Genesis. And the backstory is, if you guys know it, is that God calls Abraham to be the, the father of his people. He's going to create from him a nation that doesn't initially have children, but he has a, a close personal relationship with his nephew, Lot. They go together. Their families start to grow and grow and grow, so they split up just so that there's not tension between the families. Lot takes a specific land that's close to the city of Sodom. Uh, Abraham takes the other spot. God blesses Abraham. But at this time, there were some kings in a neighboring community that were actually under the authority of another king. They had been uh, conquered. These kings rose up, fought off the authority, conquered that king, and then set out and started to conquer other nations. One of the nations they conquered was Sodom. And because Lot lived in proximity to, to, to Sodom and even in that community, Lot and his family were, were captured. So Abraham takes his fighting men, which it's about 300 plus men, and he goes out and defeats them and wins back Lot and all the spoils of war. Now, as I read this, I'm, I'm reading into this, but it seems to be a supernatural thing that he was able to be victorious mm -hmm. just because of the numbers listed. He only has a few, 300 plus men. You just imagine if all these nations are coming together to throw off the bonds and they're going to conquer other nations, it would have to be in the thousands, tens of thousands, right. because that's the typical size of battles at that time. Uh, it even reminds me of the story of Gideon, where God calls Gideon. He has this giant army. God keeps dwindling it down and says, no, I just want to be 300 men, basically so you have no question that I'm the reason you won. It's mm -hmm. not by your might. It's because I did, I did it for you. So Abraham goes, he's victorious, gets back Lot, conquers all of them, gets the spoils of war. So he actually comes back more prosperous, and he's met by this person, Melchizedek. So in Genesis 14, verse 18, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, blessed Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So again, there's this supernatural element. He's recognizing God delivered him. And Abraham gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth or a tithe of everything. So there are only a few verses here, but they're packed with a lot of spiritual imagery. First, this character, Melchizedek, and I'm saying character just because we don't know exactly who he is, but this person, Melchizedek, is listed as the king of Salem. Uh, and almost every scholar believes that Salem is referencing Jerusalem, which is the holy city of God. So this is before the nation has been created and have, has gone to this land and conquered it, and Jerusalem is the, the head of that. So again, just the chance that this person happens to come out of the city, it feels bigger than just mm -hmm. what it's saying right. on the surface. Right. He's a priest of the Most High. At this point, the priests weren't established. There wasn't Abraham's line that came about from the Levite. So this is way before that. He is also in, in Canaan, and he's serving God, which is really unusual because even Abraham, at this point, when he was called, many believe that he wasn't following God. He was just someone that God called and basically converted him to the true religion of worshiping God. But yet this character is worshiping God, a priest before priests were established. He's serving God, blessing God. He brings out bread and wine, which, again, is so much rich imagery as yeah. for us as Christians of the body and blood of Christ that would come later. And so he brings it out and serves him. He blesses Abraham. And you're like, 
why, like what's going on. And in this blessing, he speaks prophetically to Abram, Abraham about what took place. He says, like, I'm recognizing your victory was a supernatural move of God. God delivered them. Abraham recognizes Melchizedek is greater than himself by two ways, because Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and we'll see today in the scriptures, that's a person that's greater. The person who's greater does the blessing. But also, Melchizedek receives tithes from Abraham. So Abraham tithes to him, recognizing he's greater. Melchizedek didn't fight the battle, as far as we know. He didn't send troops. So the fact that he's the king of Salem receiving this, there is something else going on yeah. that it just happens that Genesis isn't giving us a full detail of it, but you can read it and go, no, this is something bigger than just a king coming out and get, serving him some bread and wine. Um, and so he, he worships, and this is Abraham's response. He's worshiping, believing that God is responsible for his success. And even when we look at tithing in our own life, and we're going to talk about that just in a second, the, the heart behind tithing is it's an act of worship to God. Right. And it's also saying, God, you're the giver of what we have. Mm -hmm. This is what Abraham is doing to Melchizedek. He received a blessing from him and he's tithing to him, which is an act of worship. And it's an act of faith saying, I understand you're responsible for what this is. Mm -hmm. That's why when I see this, I go, I, I firmly believe that Melchizedek is Christ in the Old Testament revealing yeah. himself in this spiritual moment. So we'll hit pause on that for a moment, but let's just talk about tithing. You know, tithing is such a big part of our theology here mm -hmm. at the church, but ro what role does tithing and giving play in your faith journey? I'll start with you. I would love to share. Um, so it's funny because I grew up in church, but I... I have to be honest, in almost like in a shameful way, I didn't tithe until we were at the tree and we pursued being um, core members now yeah. as we know it. Um, but I still remember, like I was so challenged by many of the things you said, Ben and I talked about it. Ben's my husband, uh, just in case listeners right. are hearing mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, and we talked about it and I was like, I just really think we're supposed to do this. And it was tough. Like it was, it really was a huge faith step but what's so cool is that even from that faith step, then we were like, okay, you know what? We need to get debt paid off too, mm -hmm. because we want to honor God more in our finances. And every single step, it was scary because you look at your, your bank account, but even in that process, it caused us to spend less money on mm -hmm. things we didn't need. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's so cool for that process too, because we have similar stories to you guys where right. we're like, okay, we're going to start tithing we're going to pay our bills and we're just going to give it to God. And it was like almost every single time, like that, especially that first time, like something happened, we were able to sell some stuff and got that money plus some back, right, you know, yeah. that we had given. And yeah. even as we were paying off debt, it looked scary too, but it was the same thing where it was like, God's like, watch me, let's see what mm -hmm. I can do. And it is just really, really cool because I think it's like, okay, I'm going to take this step of obedience. And then when you see what God does with it, it just makes you want to want to give more and Absolutely. really giving to people. I there's so much more joy in that than purchasing and buying things for right. myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just increases your faith. It really does. Yeah, you've shared numerous times about our um, tithing journey. We we did both grow up tithing, so it wasn't something that was felt difficult to do mm -hmm. to continue to do. And I would say today it's so routine that it's just kind of part mm -hmm. of, and, and I know it is for you and Ben as well, but it's yeah. so part of our life that um, 
I don't want to say it doesn't seem like a faith step because it still is, mm -hmm. but I'm also so have confidence that God will be faithful, yeah. that um, yeah. that faith step is so much easier to take. And, but we've had those moments where it wasn't easy to do because we didn't have the financial provision mm -hmm. that we do now. We're in a different season of life, yeah. but we were living paycheck <coughs> to paycheck. And I was just sharing with some people in our connect group. I remember paying our tithe and not being able to pay other bills that I knew were due yeah. and going, okay, <laughs> like this utility bill is due this week right. and I'm choosing to pay our tithe over paying that. And I wish I would have just kept a journal of over the years, how God had provided yeah. in those moments of random things mm -hmm. that would happen. Yeah. It, it sounds fake, but it's not like oh, checks yeah. arriving in the mail that we'd overpaid somewhere else. So we were able to then pay our bill, yeah. our electric bill or our utility bill, whatever it was that, mm -hmm. that week or month. Um, just constantly, God mm -hmm. has been faithful in our lives. And it makes it so much easier, not just in the tithing sense, but in any sense of the faith journey right. to take steps of faith yeah. because you know God is faithful. Mm -hmm. um, and there's blessing in it. And just this morning, we were talking about an opportunity that we might have in to, to go somewhere mm -hmm. th that an organization would be paying for us. And as I was driving this morning to church, I was thinking, like, how are how is that happening? Yeah. Or how is that even possible that that could happen? Right. But then I was reminded, even as preparing for this, like, God rewards us in different ways at times. It's not mm -hmm. always money. It's not always trips. It's not always um, things like tangible things. It might be a step. It might be a blessing in another way. Right. But this might happen to be something yeah. that God is blessing us in this area because we've been faithful to give yeah. in our mm -hmm. finances. Yeah, so I was raised in tithe. I mean, I've shared this numerous times. So I agree with you. I, I've never viewed the tithe as mine. So like mm -hmm. that really is a perspective that mm -hmm. has helped me throughout the years. But we've decided to to go above and beyond. So we we go tithes and offerings. And then this is the truth. This morning it had nothing to do with this Bible study. This morning I was thinking through the amount that we give to the church. And we have a kid that's going to college next right. year. And I actually <laughs> thought in my mind, like, well, I'm giving the 10%, but all of that extra wow, that would make a dent. Right. And, the, and, I, it, it, and again, I'm, I'm just trying to be real. Like, I yes. wasn't like, like oh, I'm going to quit giving. Right. But I was like, oh. And I was like, I wonder if God, and then I went, no. I, 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 for me, I go, I, I would much rather have the supernatural blessing of God exactly. and right. he'll figure that out yeah. than me going, you know what, God, take a step back. Let me figure this out. I'm going to give less so that I can do that. I thought, nope, I would rather have the blessing of God. Right. And 100%. that has been my history of He's been so faithful, as you said. Mm -hmm. That's the only context I know. So in my mind, it's impacted even how I lead it as the church, which it's harder for some of the staff that like are probably hands-on with their finances. <laughs> We're really disciplined, so I'm not I'm not right, careless. Right. But it's like when we we just got back from a vision retreat with mm -hmm. all of our directors, yeah. and one of the things I said, we looked at all this stuff on the board. I go, okay, that what we all that vision is going to cost six hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and you know, like you hear those numbers, and even now people listening would be like. What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm not saying we said yes to all those things. Right. I'm just saying like if that's going to happen, it's going to be a lot of money hiring staff and starting these ministries and all this stuff. But I just have such a conviction like whatever God is calling us to do, he's going to provide. Mm -hmm. And so like but it's because of my own personal history. Yeah. That's why we can lead exactly. that way. And uh, and again, it's just that's the rhythm you see in scripture over and over. Mm -hmm. Trust me. I I'm going to take care of you and uh, that's what took place in this. All right. So that's the story that takes place in Genesis. Melchizedek is not mentioned again until one verse in Psalm, uh, Psalm 110, verse 4. And this is David. This is a Psalm of David, King David. But he is writing this prophetically, which I, 
we don't really know if David understood that he was writing prophetically, because sometimes David was talking about himself and what he was going through, and yet through that, the Holy Spirit is dynamic enough that it became a, a messianic uh, prophecy, and that's what this is. But he says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, and this is in quotation, this is the promise of God, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this is a messianic prophecy, so it would be fulfilled in Jesus that Jesus would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So of the same kind, the same line. So now we go back to Hebrews, and this is where we're going to begin today. So all that's the intro. So we're a half hour in, and we have <laughs> introed this confusing chapter. Yeah, um, But this is what the writer of Hebrews, is all the context. He's going to now start to describe who Melchizedek is so that we can understand who Jesus is and what Jesus does. So again, I'm going to, I'm going to talk for a little bit here because I have to kind of break these verses down as we go. Verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything, so a tithe. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So again, going back now to the two options, either he's just a king and we take it at face value, or there's something more dramatic going on. This is the, what it paints, the image of him. He's king of Salem, which would be king of Jerusalem. He's a priest of the Most High, king of righteousness, king of peace, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, so he's eternal, resembles the Son of God, a priest forever. So if you just take that at face value, he's a divine being. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can we agree on that? I mean, just right. the language that's used. Uh, he would be the pre-incarnate Jesus. And uh, again, I've already explained that, but there was multiple times in the Bible that Jesus shows up in physical form, or I would say a form of God. We know God the Father sits on the throne. The Holy Spirit interacts in the spirit form. So whenever... God reveals himself in the physical, it's pre-incarnate Jesus. I believe in the garden, when it says that God was walking in the garden, that was pre-incarnate Jesus. But we also see stories with Abraham, with Jacob, with Joshua, with Abraham and Isaac, with Hagar, with Moses, with Gideon, in the furnace, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, there are all these examples where God in the physical shows up. So this is my view. I think Melchizedek is God in the, in the physical. But another view is that the writer of Hebrews is, is saying... Um, that this person is unique and that the, the priesthood, it, hold on, I'm just looking at my notes and I, I kind of wrote that a little clunky, but what he's saying about this is that he's just, like you take it uh, at face value that he is actually not God, but he's just a priest. Mm -hmm. So he, king of Salem and Jerusalem, he's just a king. Mm -hmm. That The priest of the Most High, he just happens to be someone that is serving the only true God, which is possible because there were people found in different um, communities that God interacted with. I, I think of Nebuchadnezzar. Here he is, a king yeah. of Babylon, and yet God is speaking to him specifically and changing his heart. Uh, same thing with Cyrus. He's a king of righteousness. That's just what his name means. He's a king of peace. That's what Salem means. He's without genealogy. The, the writer of Hebrews could just be saying it wasn't given, like, like the line of Levi. Uh, he has neither beginning of days nor end of life, and he's just saying his backstory isn't the point of the story. Uh, when it says he resembles the Son of God, it's just just like he's a priest forever, his line's going to go forever. I mean, so like you could look at it that way mm -hmm. and say like, well, it's just a person. I think both can work. 
but it seems to me in an obvious way, and I think you guys would agree. No, like you both, <laughs> I don't know how you feel it, but it just seems like it's he's saying that he's more than just a man. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so now we get back into this, and we're going to break this down as we go. So verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take a tithe from the people, that is, from their brothers, though there are also, they are also descended from Abraham. So he's like, okay, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham because Abraham paid tithes to him. And he goes, if you look at it, and, and what he's going to do now is he's basically showing these two parallel lines of the priesthood. So there's Melchizedek, this unique figure, who again, I'm just going to, from this point forward, I'm going to teach from my conviction that he is a pre-incarnate Christ. So he's like, there's Melchizedek, who's this supernatural being. He's a, a person that is obviously uniquely special and different. And then there's the line that God gave of Abraham all the way down to the Levites and the priests. And though there are parallel things, you're going to see over and over, Melchizedek is greater. Melchizedek is greater. So he goes, the Israelites pay tithe to the Levites, tithes to the Levites, but they're all basically the same countrymen. There's a, an element where they're kind of just equal. Then in verse 6, he says, But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So he goes, I, I want you to understand this. Abraham is like, I mean, from them, he is like the legend, right? Like right. he is where the, the Jewish people came from. Mm -hmm. God gave him the special promise that he is going to have descendants like the stars in the sky. He's going to have the promised land that all of the world is going to be blessed by Abraham. And this is the promises to him. And he goes, yet Abraham saw Melchizedek as greater. So there's this line that comes from Abraham, and yet Melchizedek is greater. Next verse. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, the Levites, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives, Melchizedek. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. One of the most strange verses <laughs> in the Bible. Literally what he's saying, and I'm just teaching the scriptures here. He's, uh, again, I, I'm not trying to be crass or crude or anything right. like that, but he's basically saying because Levi would come much later, but in Abraham's body, in his loins, the sperm that would hold him, that would create him. So through Abraham, he, he paid tithes. So again, I just put in my notes, so strange. <laughs> yeah, it felt like there could be a different way to explain that. Huh? felt like there could be a different way to explain yeah, that. Yeah, I was like, really, whoever the writer of Hebrews is, you're like, really? Like, we you, get your point. Yeah, exactly. You had us at verse 9. You didn't need verse 10. We could just skip that. All right, so verse 11. He says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? And he's saying the same thing as Paul. You know, Paul in chapter 8 of Romans, which we'll go to in a second, uh, Paul said, he was like, you know, the, the law was powerless to do the very thing that, that we would have hoped it would. So I love the quote that you read earlier about yeah. it points out the problem, it points out the sickness, but it right. isn't giving you the cure. Yeah. And that's what he's saying is if this system that God gave, where he gave the law and he gave the Levites as priests, if this was sufficient, this whole system was sufficient to put you in a right relationship with God, they would not need anything else. Right. But he says, because it's not 
powerful enough, then something else had to be done. So let's look at Romans 8, verse 1 for a second. He says, this is Paul talking. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So let me explain that because I think that's critical. As he said, he says, as you look at this, God gives us the law, but He knows what weakens the law is not that the law is bad. The commands aren't bad. What weakens it is that the flesh is broken by sin. Yeah. The flesh is weak. The flesh cannot fulfill the law perfectly. So the flesh is always going to sin, which means there's always going to be separation from God because God is holy. It's not that God is just like, like what we would look in our culture and say, like, He's not that He's arrogant or standoffish and He's like, oh, I'm not going to be troubled by it. He is holy. A holy God cannot be in relationship with unholy beings. So what God did is He sent His Son to become like us in flesh. So God is a different kind. His holiness, He's other than us. He's different than us. Mm -hmm. Jesus became us. He took on His creation, the form of that, but then perfectly fulfilled the law, which meant He was innocent and didn't need to die. And so then God took our sin and put it on the innocent, punished our sin in Jesus, so that we could be in relationship with God. So the death that we deserve to die, Jesus died in our place as a pure sacrifice. And so now that's what was changed. And so Paul was explaining what the writer of Hebrews is explaining is the law was weak to do this. So God had to have another way that he created. And it was always in his mind. It wasn't plan B. It was always plan A. Plan the, the, the Levite system was just to show us we couldn't do it. Because mm -hmm. you know what would happen? If God would have sent Jesus initially, we would have thought, well, you didn't need to do that. We could have done it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. we needed we to have the solution. season where we realized, right. nope, we can't do it. We need another way. Yeah. Um, so the system of earthly priests and animal sacrifices and all that was not the final solution. So another had to be made. So here's some questions I want to talk with you guys about now. There's an underlying frustration with failure. Uh, you talked about earlier, just mm -hmm. as a rule follower, you're a rule follower. Like there's that underlying frustration, and especially when it comes to failing God. But how has failure actually drawn you closer to God? That's kind of a weird question, but do you understand yeah. what I'm trying to ask there? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, and, and even with being a rule follower, I tend to have some perfectionist tendencies as yeah. well. And so I hate that thought of failure. Like it, it bugs me when I think that I've failed someone or I failed yeah. at something, especially when I feel like I failed God. And I know like in the past, I could get so caught up in almost the shame and guilt of it. I was like, God, I did it again. I, right. I when am I going to be okay with this? When am I going to get this right? But there's just been so many moments, especially lately where God's like, but I've not called you to be perfect. And it mm -hmm. was almost in those failures where I was able to just experience God in a different way where yeah. it's like, I have a hard time showing myself grace, but I need Jesus and, and I can't do this myself. I'm not going to walk it through perfectly. And so it was almost like in my imperfections, God's just really been drawing me in and reminding me like, Stacy, I didn't create you to be perfect. That's why I sent Jesus. And right. so just leaning into that grace and it really has, it has drawn me closer to God, which is such a weird thing. You know, like I yeah. think so many people would I be know. like, so your imperfections have led you closer to God, but that's just the way right. that he works where it's like, I'm not met with condemnation. I'm right. not met mm -hmm. with, look what you did again. I'm met with grace and forgiveness every single Love time. Yeah. I think that's the key. What mm -hmm. you just said there at the end is that it's not a God who's angry or 
desires to have these really terrible punishments mm-hmm. for you because you haven't lived up to the perfect standards that right. he has. Right. Um, it's more of you are met with a God who's saying, my desire is to expose things mm-hmm. so that you will come back to me so that you can be changed to yeah. become more like me, which then I'm going to expose something else in your <laughs> yeah. life. And it's that yeah. constant rhythm mm-hmm. of God revealing things to us if we have a soft heart towards right. him. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm exposed on a daily basis. Yeah. And a lot of it is through relationships, whether it's through our relationship, right. you know, God uses you to expose things in my life or my kids mm-hmm. or friendships or work relationships, whatever it is. I can see areas where God's convicting me and going like, yeah. you didn't handle that situation correct or the thoughts that you're having aren't my desires for mm-hmm. you right mm-hmm. now. And, and it does, it causes me to you really have two options go away from god Mm -hmm. and live in your sin or draw to him so that Mm -hmm. you can be changed and forgiven yeah Um, but yeah it's it's a neat process it's Mm -hmm. hard to explain Um, but just recently i had an experience where i was frustrated with a person and i um went straight from a situation where i was frustrated to another situation where I just kind of was like, wow, and just shared it in a way that I shouldn't have shared. Those people didn't know, need to know mm-hmm. that that stuff had happened. And then when I was driving home, I was just so convicted, like that, but it was in a way where God was saying, how does that feel? Mm-hmm. Like, is that, did that solve the problem? Does that feel better? Cause it just felt worse. Yeah. And it wasn't a, um, condemning it was convicting mm-hmm. yeah. and so i was able to contact those people and say i'm so sorry like i should not have done that that wasn't right. the appropriate thing i shouldn't have said that and they were very gracious to me and it's a constant rhythm of okay god you've exposed this mm-hmm. i want to work on this mm-hmm. i want to confess this i want to repent and i want to continue to do better yeah um one i don't know if i'll ever get that down but <laughs> right. yeah. if i do he'll continue to show me something else in my life that needs to change yeah, yeah that's good yeah, I know for me, you said a, a line that really is part of my, my faith journey is you make a decision when you sin, which direction you're going to go. Like, can mm-hmm. I run away from God or run toward God? My first half of my life, literally, like the first 20 years of my life, I, in, in shame, would run away. Right. And it was like, it was a weird dynamic because I loved God, but I didn't want, I, I was so frustrated by letting him down. Like you said, like yeah. praying that same prayer. Like yeah. once again, I'm here. Like I just was like, I have to get more disciplined. So I would run away. What shifted in my mind is realizing God wanted me to come toward him yes. in my sin. Yeah. And when I understood that, and I said this in the last Bible study, that the, the for me, the mental picture I had to have and I had to realize is that when I came to God in my sin, he was smiling because I came. Yeah. And it was like, that was such a shift for me because I, I would always think it was almost like the disappointed yep. boss or parent, you know, yep. like, here you are again, you know, and I realized, no, no. It's just the opposite that he's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you came. Yes. I'm so glad you came to receive grace because this was his idea. It was his right. system. And when I understood that, that's like, it was a game changer for me mm-hmm. that I go like, it's not that I'm trying to sin, you know, as Paul said, should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? He's like, by no means. I'm not trying to do that, but I understand that's no longer the hindrance. So that when I sin, God, I am genuinely sorry. Help me not to do that, but I can keep progressing forward. And yes. that, that was a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. So, so you were talking about even like then the grace in your life how it impacts how you communicated with a group, how you obviously about someone else or another situation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the specifics of what you're saying, mm-hmm. but how does unending grace work through your everyday relationship? So like once you receive grace, how does that impact how you treat other people? Yeah, I think it just puts things in perspective. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to be, to not show someone grace when you are having to go back to God consistently yeah. yep, exactly. to confess sins and receive grace. Uh, 
it's impossible yeah. <laughs> really, <laughs> to do that in good conscience of like, right. yeah. yes, I'm going to seek forgiveness, but I'm not going to extend grace towards others. And so it, with that perspective change, it does allow you to um, offer more grace in relationships when maybe there is a repeated issue mm-hmm. over and over because I have those same repeated yeah. issues with people, with relationships, but also with God. So it, yeah, it just shifts your mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with exactly with what Mary said. Just thinking about, you know, the people in my life who have hurt me and, and you know, caused some damage and things, but then to go like, okay, but if it was me in that situation, I would want them to show me grace. Mm-hmm. And so just like Mary was saying, when, when you've been given grace, it's so much easier to give it to others. But even referring to your message a few weeks ago when you were saying like, okay, when you mess up, you want people to show you grace. Right. So your people are more likely to give you grace if you're showing them grace. And, yeah. and so I just think that, yeah, that perspective changes everything for you. That message was last Sunday, not a few weeks it ago. It was just. last Sunday. Sorry. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how time... I know. I know. The same thing this week, it feels like it, it has been, been a two long weeks. Week. Yeah, I know. We had a long retreat. It was really good, but yeah. I think it also gives, it gives hope for restoration mm-hmm. and healing and change in yeah. relationships when, when yeah. we know that we can change like god can work in yeah. us and change us it's it gives hope for earthly relationships too yeah. exactly so one more question then we'll, we'll dive back into breaking down the scriptures i i said this earlier when i was just kind of given an overview of the system where god gave the law but within the system he gave this plan of grace so in that initial plan that he gave so 613 commands and and the tabernacle system, the priestly system, all of that, that we know is foreshadowing to Jesus. So when you think of all of that as one, like all of this is the, the redemptive plan of God. So everything he did uh, from calling Abraham, creating a nation, sending them prophets, giving them the law, sacrificial system, all the way to all the prophets in between, the kings, then, then to Jesus and his death, his resurrection, the Holy Spirit. Like you think about it, all, that was God's plan. When you really meditate on the fact that God's plan was a plan of redemption, how does that give you more confidence for the future? Because what we know is there's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be failure in the future. We know that, individual failure. Right. But there's also going to be these steps of faith. And the God who did all of that is the one calling you to that. So how does that impact your faith for the future? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like plans. So it's <laughs> awesome that God had a plan. You know, yeah. But honestly, though, when you really think about it, it's like it's so cool to know like God wasn't just like, eh, they'll figure it out. I'm right. not going to put anything in place. But from the beginning of time, yeah. He knew he knew us well right. enough. He knew we were going to mess up. And he's like, but I have this plan. And I think even just knowing, even before I was born, that God had a plan to save me, yeah. it, it just makes me go, well, then, yeah, of course, that's the life that I want because I have a God who who cares about me clearly because he's, yep. he's made a plan and a purpose for my life. For sure. Yeah. I think I would fold in on myself and my everyday everyday living if I didn't believe mm-hmm. that there is a God who's sovereign yeah. and has a plan overall mm-hmm. and a plan of redemption, not just for some, but it's so it's inclusive to any single right. person who um, confesses him as Savior. So yeah. Yeah. it's super comforting, mm-hmm. super beautiful yeah. picture of the redeeming grace of God. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, let's go back to verse 12 now. So the writer of Hebrews continues this, for, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. 
So that can be a little bit confusing, but he's saying, okay, if the, these two lines of priests, if, if you ever have to change it to some, something else, well, the law has to be changed in order for that to happen. So the law was from the tribe of Levi. And he goes, but if there's another priest that came out that's not from the tribe, because he was saying our Savior, Jesus Christ, came from the tribe of Judah, there's another line that we, we have to recognize God was doing something different. Mm-hmm. And that's his point. So again, the, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews because there were those that were kind of struggling. What, what role actually is Jesus? What does this do for us following the law now? Like they're trying to figure all that out. And he's like, you have to recognize God was doing something different, mm-hmm. something that's changing because of the strategy. Uh, he goes on to verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he's quoting Psalm 110 there. So he says, so when when Jesus becomes a high priest, not by birthright, so he's not a tribe of Levi, not by birthright, but by sovereign decree of God, it's showing us something powerful. God is doing something new, something powerful, something eternal. And, and this is what I love, is that God didn't keep that system. He went off a, in a different direction so that we would all recognize, I showed you this system, you, it didn't work for you. you, were, you your flesh made it not, not work. The law was powerless because of your sinful nature. I'm doing something new and unique. Verse 18, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. It's like the same theme. The law was powerless. Jesus is not. God is doing something new. And I love it because like, it starts to kind of build that excitement. God was doing something new. Uh, a few more verses, then we'll get to some more questions. Uh, verse 20 says, And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests, the Levites, were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So this is God making a promise. Just remember that because I'm going to come back with the first question. God is making a promise. This makes Jesus the guarantor. Guarantor? Guarantor? Is that right? Guarantor? That's how I would say that. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus is guaranteeing of a better covenant. You ever just say a word and like as it comes yes. out of your mouth, you're like. Even as you uh, said it, and I was looking at, it, I was like, "Is that a word?" Yeah, I was like, guarantor? "I guess it is. It's in the Bible." Yep. So. Guarantor. <laughs> that sounds right. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. All right. So Jesus is guaranteeing a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, uh, so he's saying because or, or, I'll go on. because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So there wasn't just one priest. That priest would die. The next one would become the high priest. But he's like, so there was many in number, uh, but he holds his priesthood. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he, is al- he always lives to make intercession for them. So the priest died and another priest came about, but he's like, no, 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 not with Jesus. This is unique. Our high priest, is he's eternal, so his work as high priest goes on forever. He lives He's still interceding for us. It's like the image we were talking about earlier. He's defending us. He's proclaiming the truths of what he did for us in the presence of the Father. So he's continually your high priest, making atonement for your sins that will lead you to eternity. And Jesus backs it up with the promise. God says, I'm promising, I'm swearing to this. 
So when we were recording this, Stacy, you taught last night, mm-hmm. um, and you taught a wonderful yeah, message. It was so good, so good. Um, and, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. Mary can attest <laughs> to this. You. This is literally what I said, so I'm just going to say this publicly. When I left, I go, you know what? That was awesome, and that was not awesome for a new person. That was just mm-hmm. awesome by the standard of awesome. Like right, It was, it was so good. Um, but you taught last night at the chapel, that one, and one of your points was, you have to hold on to the promises of God. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the most incredible promises of God that He's making uh, to secure our hearts. But how, how does that, like when you are holding on to this promise that God mm-hmm. goes, I'm going to be your high priest forever, mm-hmm. what does that do for your faith? What does that do for your heart? What does that do for your life knowing that He's like, this is an eternal promise? Yeah, I think I, I liked how uh, you said there, like forever. Like He is... He's as long as I continue to seek him, like he's got my back. So he he's got me in his hands for all eternity. And and there's no better hands I would want to be in. You know, I've seen God's faithfulness over and over and over again. We talked about it with tithing, even just what happened last night. That was a step of obedience. But it's so cool. Like even today, I was just reflecting on it. I'm like, but God was with me the whole entire way. All he said is take these steps of obedience and I'm going to be faithful. And so he's going to be faithful to me forever. He's already proven it. But even just like you said right Mm -hmm. here, like he, he's never broken his promises and I feel so secure with God uh, because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when your heart is secure in relationship, I think it makes all the other promises become more real. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cause like we've all had this where you have tension with a person so like if if uh, marriage is a hard example just because like we're committed forever, um, right? Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but like so like Mary and I, we have promises to love and like to support mm-hmm. each other. But like if there's a brokenness in that relationship, or if there's like insecurity, now you're angry or mad at me. Some of those other promises feel like on hold or right, no longer shaky. But when you know, like, no, our relationship is secure, mm-hmm. all those promises become secure again, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And, like, that's how it is with God. When you know, like, when he's saying this, like, I'm promising to be your high priest, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden all the other promises you go, then it's not that he's going to forget about those, right? right? Yeah. yeah, he's not going to be neglectful in one area of his promises, but true exactly. in others. Right. You know, so even we talked about tithing, like, He's going to be faithful in providing for our needs mm-hmm. when we are obedient to take the step of faith to tithe. Yeah. When we turn to him for forgiveness and don't continue to have a hard heart, he's going to be faithful to work yeah. in our lives and heal us. So it just it makes you have confidence mm-hmm. in all the promises that God says when he just affirms. Just I know this is not just one promise, but when he's affirming, I'm going to be your high priest. Yeah. Right. He's saying, I'm going to be faithful in all these other areas too. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's wrap it up, and then we'll have a couple more questions. So he says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. I, when I first read that line, it felt like it was like, yeah, we, we deserve this. And now you realize, no, no, he's saying just the opposite. Yeah. Like, no, you all needed this because you're all broke, right? Like, you guys are so uh, imperfect. Because right. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has now been made perfect forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just love that imagery. He's like, you guys see this clearly. 
like these two lines. This one system was broken, mm-hmm. right? Like the system itself, because humanity was a part of it, was broken. The priests were broken. The people were broken. We constantly sin. He goes, God just showed us that, but goes, here, I have a better way. And on this other side, it's not about brokenness. It's not about sin. It's about a God who loves us, who became man to die on the cross for our sins. He offered up his body one time. Doesn't need to keep doing this over and over. His sacrifice was enough. He's promised it, so it's backed by God. And what the writer of Hebrews is like, all right, so look at these two things. Jesus is greater. His way is greater. So, All right, so here's the final two questions. Knowing that Jesus knows and understands our weakness because he experienced it, experienced the limitations of humanity, how does that lead you to take bigger steps of faith? Mary? I think when... So I'm going to talk about like on a human standpoint. When someone knows you... A person knows your weaknesses, yet they still believe in you and Mm. think like you can do the things that they say you can do. That is a more comforting place to be than someone who only knows your strengths and doesn't really know what your your weaknesses are. And so knowing that God knows the details of our lives, the strengths, he, Jesus suffered just like Mm -hmm. we suffer. So Mm -hmm. he was tempted in the same ways we were. Um, He's experienced that. Knowing that, and God's still saying, yeah, you can still do yeah. this. Yeah. I still have plans for you. I'm still going to be with you. Makes it like, okay, I believe it because I believe you know everything about me mm-hmm. yeah. and that you're not telling me something that isn't true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes it easier to take yeah. those steps. For sure. I love that point. Um, when uh, I think you probably remember this, but when we uh, – this is, let me finish this sentence. You remember the first part of it. I was like – on our wedding day, so like you remember, uh, <laughs> my, my brother Daniel sang a song for us, but he, he uh, that he wrote for us, but he asked me ahead of time, like, write down my thoughts about you so he could mm-hmm. customize it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I wrote then was Mary always saw bigger things for me than I did. Like mm-hmm. she, she saw like a hope in, or a goodness in me or just potential in me that I didn't see. And I agree with you. When you have someone like that that sees knows you and you would have at that point known me better than any other single person mm-hmm. and yet saw potential there is something comforting and empowering about right. that because you're like okay i haven't tricked you right that's you know who i really am and you still believe it so that, yeah, that's a powerful mm-hmm. point yeah how, how about you you know it was really funny when i read this uh question this was actually part of my quiet time this morning oh, just cool. reading and, and thinking about like your weaknesses and and i just always I always think it's cool that it's like, I know that in my weaknesses, God has so much strength, you yes. know, and, and just even that thought of like you guys were saying, like the fact that the creator God knows where I'm weakest, but it's almost like he's like, but let me see, let me show you what I can do with Absolutely, your weaknesses. Yeah. And I just, I think that's so cool. And I think we can all even attest to different times when I've been weak, but man, I have seen the strength of God or the courage of mm-hmm. God, whatever it was that I was lacking in that moment. Yeah. And for me, it helps you take those steps of faith. But I think I, for me personally, I think it's really cool that then it's like God gets to the glorification in that. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's you just know so it's cool. Not you. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. When you're like, that wasn't me. That was totally right, yeah. God doing yeah. that. Yeah. That, if I had to write an autobiography, it'd be like, that was not me. Yeah. Like anything good, I'll just have to listen. I was like, that was me. I, I'm, I'm fully aware. All right. For final question, and this can you can repeat something you've already said, yeah. but it's just, what's your favorite thing that God has taught you in your faith journey? Mm. Start with you. I think just that kind of what I was referring to last night. He's faithful and he provides for us. Like, I think that has been a constant rhythm of my life. And Every single time he's called me to do something in obedience, he's been so faithful the whole entire way. And so I just, he's called me to do some 
scary steps some things right. that you know we were just talking about where it's like okay i'm gonna do mm-hmm. that but he's never failed me and yeah. i think that that's just that's just incredible and i think you've you've made reference to this before where it's like you take that one step of faith and it just kind of compounds itself and sure. it just goes yep. deeper and deeper each time and i don't know it's just incredible what god can do even with a little step of obedience and a little step of faith i agree same answer as that's what I wrote down God's faithfulness yeah, yeah. Um, we sang a song last night at the chapel that's one of my all-time favorite worship songs Tit- my son Titus asked me recently like what's your all-time favorite worship song and I was yeah. listing a few I could not remember the title of that one it's where I'm he's sure talking about um, never once did you did we ever walk alone mm-hmm. where it's yeah. just going through and talking about God was faithful. He will continue to be faithful. And I have memories of seeing that song when we opened Mm -hmm. the building. And I remember like that was super powerful. And so now then singing it last night just reminds me of since then times that God has been Mm -hmm. faithful. Right. And so that, I think that is the beauty Mm -hmm. of being obedient and taking steps of faith is God is always going to be faithful and having those memories of, yep, there he was again. Right. And yep. This mm-hmm. is how, that's how this. Not knowing how it's going to turn out, no. but knowing that he will be faithful. Yeah. 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 For me, a part of that is just the root of God's grace. Like that. That's the number one thing. My favorite thing because for me, everything flows from that. Mm-hmm. Where so his faithfulness. I I I have confidence in his faithfulness because he's not mad at me. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that was always my insecurity was. It, and and I never felt like it was unfair. I actually felt like it would be fair for God to be. Hmm. Like I've actually thought it'd be fair for God to be done with me. Yeah, you know, like right. if God said to me, like, Matt, I, I really did try. <laughs> you know, I, I get it, God. Right. Like, that's fair right. enough, you know. But understanding His grace has just been my favorite thing mm-hmm. because it's just transformed. It transformed everything. It transforms how I see Him. It, as a pastor, it transformed how I teach mm-hmm. my perspective. So, like, I, I teach from a perspective of grace because that's the only way I can view the world now through yeah. Him. So, yeah, it's just been awesome that way. So, well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. And thank thank you, you, everyone, for joining us in this Bible study. Uh, Obviously, it was somewhat of a complex issue. Hopefully, we made it clear. But also, I hope that what you hear every time in these Bible studies is that there is a very real God who really loves you, has a good plan for your life, and you will discover a deeper life by walking in obedience to Him. He's not just trying to give you a list of rules. He really does want a relationship to love you, to encourage you to fix what's broken, and to give you a a good plan for your future. So we hope that this encourages you. And if it does, we always ask you to, to share it. Share it on social media. Share it with family and friends because we want it to encourage them too. So we love you. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week as we go into chapter eight of the book of Hebrews.